Welcome to the Corporate Treasury 101 podcast. In today's episode, we discuss trade finance challenges in the energy industry with Danilo Gonzalez from Siemens Energy. Danilo is a skilled treasury manager leading a treasury competence hub in Lisbon with a demonstrated career spanning over 15 years of experience in the treasury space. Siemens Energy is more than just an energy technology company. Siemens Energy meets the growing energy demand across 90 plus countries whilst ensuring our climate is protected. In the episode of today, expect to learn how the companies in the energy sector address trade finance challenges in the realm of energy and renewable energies, whether there is a distinction in treatment between the energy and renewable energy sectors in trade finance, do ESG challenges in the energy sector impact trade finance decisions, how do energy companies navigate trade finance amidst fluctuating energy prices? What innovative solutions has the energy sector adopted to streamline trade finance processes? And like always, much, much more. Another interview that happened in person and you can find it on YouTube and actually watch Hussam and I interviewing Danilo, who has been fantastic to us, especially for a first industry focus interview. We hope you will enjoy the episode. If that is the case, and when you're thinking about how you found our podcast, chances are that it was through word of mouth, social media, or a recommendation from your favorite podcast platform. And this is our only request to you. The best way you can support the podcast is to head to YouTube and subscribe to our YouTube channel, Corporate Treasury 101. That will mean the world to us and help more people learn about treasury. On another other note, this episode is brought to you by Automation Boutique. Automation Boutique is empowering treasury, finance, and risk management with tailored automation solution. They use robotic process automation, RPA, AI, APIs, and Power Query to create automations that can work with your existing systems. We partnered with Automation Boutique as we really like their approach to innovation and how they help the industry. For this partnership, they came up with an AI-powered automation self-scan that can help you find out if a business process is suitable for automation and how to best get started. It is totally free, non-intrusive, and only takes about 15 minutes. What's great is that the report you will get from the scan helps you determine if the benefits of the automation outweigh the costs. If you want to have a look, head to the link in the description or to automationboutique.com slash corporate treasury 101 and with all that being said please welcome danilo gonzalez danilo thank you so much for coming on the corporate treasury 101 podcast Thank you for having me. Not at all. So we're going to jump into um, some more advanced versions of trade uh, trade finance. So could you start off by just explaining to us again and reminding everyone what trade finance is? Sure, why not? Um, trade finance is a group of strategies or financial solutions that helps um, to mitigate the risk when we perform trade. For example, uh, you can imagine that you want to sell a, a product abroad and then of course you will need a buyer and trade finance help us to um, resolve the divergences you know any kind of risk that might might appear from the supplier side or um, the customer side let's put it this way and that's the main purpose of trade finance is to eliminate the risk 
it's to mitigate the risk and to enable the the training. Right. No, uh, basically you can put um, introduce a third party, which is could be a bank. This bank will assist in handling the risk inherent inherent risk that you will face when you do when you do trade, right? Uh, basically, you can use trade finance for different purposes, like um, uh, improve your cash flow, for example. You can do sales of receivables as well. So, supply chain finance is also considered kind of a trade finance instrument. Interesting. Um, but also, for example, you can. It's not a traditional financing because you can use trade finance um, to cover, for example, um, currency risk. Uh, you can cover political instability, no? in non-payment possibilities, or maybe a credit worthiness of uh, one of the parties involved. Mm. So I thought, so trade finance will allow you to do trade internationally, right? So. You want to sell, you're a European company, you want to sell something to a US company, you're not sure they will pay you. So exactly. I put in place a contract with a third party that say, hey, I'm guaranteeing this trade. So in exchange of a fee, obviously, if this deal doesn't go well, I will pay you a exact part of it or something. Yeah, like that. it covers the payment or the receivable for the exporters, okay. right? And, uh, and the importer can get an extended credit in, in order to fulfill the, the trade order. Okay. And so how do you enhance cash flow with trade finance? I'm interested in understanding that part because you will receive an advance of cash as well? It depends on the, the instrument. So for instance, uh, the most common is warranties. And then you can have many types of warranties, like for example, bid bonds for when you apply for a new project. Mm -hmm. um, you have uh, advanced payment warranties. So you need to offer 100% of the advance that you receive in terms in, in a warranty. So it has a value, the warranty has a value, maximum value. Then you can have a performance warranty, you can have a warrant warranty, depends on what you are covering and in which part of the project you are, mm. right? So it, it, it will depend, but then you can have also a letter of credits, but the difference is that in a letter of credit, you will pay with a letter of credit. So it's, okay. it's, uh, it's gonna be executed. So a warranty is like a check. I give you the check, and if I don't pay you, you can go to the bank and execute the check. In this case, uh, the warranties are at least not almost never executed. Okay. If everything runs well, there is no need to execute any warranty. So it's a risk prevention instrument, the guarantee, whereas the letter of credit, you will just say, okay, I will pay you, but at a later stage or when you deliver something. When, in the, when the documentation is completed, then the letter of credit will be released uh, with the issuing bank. Mm -hmm. Yes. Super clear. So it's the other way around. It will almost always get issued. It, it is on. the purpose. The purpose is that the issuing banks take the risk from the from the cluster, from the customer. So like this, the seller makes sure that it's going to receive the money with the proper documentation. So it's not anymore on the client side. It's the risk is on the bank side at this certain, at certain point. So that's important, I guess, because trust isn't always yeah it's a, available. a strangers trading mm -hmm. right so it's, <laughs> there is an inherent risk when you are trading with somebody that you don't know yeah. you don't know if the shipment is gonna is gonna take place uh the vendor say like if i say my shipment i don't know if the customers will pick it up mm. um so there is risk on the supply and also on the customer side both sides so banks or institutions go in the middle to 
allow the trade uh, run smoothly, mm -hmm. right? Mitigating the risk in both sides. No? There is risk in both sides, the buyer and the seller. So this is the, the key play that uh, banks or insurance companies can also play. What, how does the bank price that? Is it a percentage of the, the amount? Is it a fixed fee typically? How do banks price that? For example, for warranties, normally what you get is a credit line. Okay, so let's mind you say, um, let's get a, I will negotiate 100 million line, credit line for warranties with bank ABC. So the bank will say, okay, uh, for this line, I will charge you, for example, for warranties until one year, three basis points, let's mind, and then uh, from one year to three, another price for three to five, and then unlimited another, because unlimited represent more risk, it's gonna be more expensive. And it's gonna be a percentage of the, of the amount, yes. And then, from what I remember from my old banking days, you would also charge per guarantee for the issuance, there would be a small fee. There would fee be a small fee for issuance, modifications exactly. uh depends on your negotiations it could be for free mm -hmm. uh this issuance price i mean if they are getting a percentage for the warranty itself right. I, in my opinion it's easy money because the, the risk if you never execute they get a lot of a lot of commissions mm -hmm. and it's um i won't say low risk but it's um it, it is it, it's there is there are not many cases the banks execute usually, the yeah. banks win yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's yeah. a good life lesson. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, to the, so to the trust point, does it mean that once you have a well-established relationship with a, a client or a supplier overseas, you will not put in place any trade finance instrument anymore? Or will you still, because there is an inherent risk, as you said, I don't know if you I think there will, or this kind of stuff. I think there will be always, because if you, I mean, by reading some, some books, you will see that 80% of trade, mm -hmm use a form of trade finance so it's a lot uh, so of course building trust is it you can avoid this if you are uh, have a long relationship with uh, with this customer or vendor but i think it could be an internet policy like uh, my process says that i need to request this and that, and that so normally when what we focus mostly is on the on the outbound so in which me as a supplier offer a warranty to my client because this is where the risk lays mostly but there is also the inbound in which i am the client i am going to ask my supplier um, a warranty both need to be handled but there is a bigger focus on the outbound because there is a reputational risk there is a, of course a non the non-payment risk and so on um, the execution part that then goes to legal so it this is why outbound has more focus i will say so as a supplier, you want to make sure your client will ultimately pay you. And as a client, you want to make sure your supplier will deliver the goods that he they, or they promised. Has the difference between the performance guarantee and the bid guarantee and the difference. Exactly. So can we deep dive a little bit more into the different instruments that are used in Trefinance? So you yeah. can name a few of them, letters of credit, guarantees, what else is out there? Those are the two most common, but then, uh, then uh, everything is driven by the cash flows, not in, in in terms of trade finance, you have commercial cash flows involved. Mm -hmm. Okay, so it's not like traditional uh, financing, but there are other instruments that are also uh, considered part of trade finance, like uh, um, revolving uh, sales of receivables, for example, um, or a project for finance as well, because everything goes at the same at the same time can be 
all these products at the same time. Mm -hmm. uh, depends on the needs, you know, how big the product is, what are the needs of the customer, uh, and also this will boost the revenues of the of the customer. In this case, maybe a customer. Let's imagine that the customer has no capacity to issue a thousand pieces of something, and then uh, then you say, okay, I'm gonna get a credit for that, uh, and I'm gonna I'm gonna deliver what is requested. But without a kind of export finance, it won't be happen. It won't be possible. Right. So it's uh, this also helps to helps the revenue. If you have hardship uh, uh, financial problems, it's gonna help because uh, you're you can uh, use some some kind of uh, credit in revolving facilities, for example. Yeah. So, but so why would a third party, if you're in financial difficulties, why would a third party come and guarantee a potential trade? What's in it? Because the risk is higher. Or do they then price it higher as well? So that's that's why they would do it. Why do we need a third party? I mean, it's basically because uh, you need to have a, another let's say another institution backing you, mm -hmm. uh, backing your business. But so why would they take the risk when the, when the third, so not the third party, but one of the party in the supplier or the client part is in financial difficulties that could be offset by a trade finance instrument. What is it? It's more expensive or why it would is. the third party do that? Uh, why? Because uh, um, they want to help you. And then, then you show some numbers like saying that I am going to Business. cash in with this and that and then I will repay you or they can put some assets on as collateral as well okay. normally this is the case but uh, normally when you um, negotiate a credit line you try not to put collateral because okay. otherwise the, the purpose is different it's, it's normally you say okay this, these are my numbers my financial statements how much I'm going to get from you one hundred million, two hundred millions line, and then you have to use until this capacity mm. is fully is fully completed. So trade finance credit lines by nature don't have a collateral because that would uh, not serve the purpose and actually go the opposite way. Yeah, because if you put a collateral, why then I need a line? Exactly. <laughs> I will give the, I will put the cash collateral uh, and then uh, and and then I will use my own cash, my own assets yeah. not to cover the, the risk. I don't know if this is a stupid thing to say, but is the trade itself not like a collateral? Like there is a underlying trade to the Yeah, but banks can banks can ask collateral. Yeah, I mean if they don't if they, they think that you are that you don't have enough um, assets or that you are risky a risky customer, they could ask a collateral. And then for this you can for example issue a global area of support in which your parent company will back you up. Right the different subsidiaries, let's put it this way. I think we've, we've touched upon it quickly, but maybe to, to close this overview and refresh of what trade finance is, why, uh, why is trade finance crucial for business, especially the ones that operate at global scale? Um, well, actually it's, it's crucial because as, as I mentioned, there, there is a uh, 80% of the international trade use a form of trade finance. Mm -hmm. So you are going to, um, you need a, you need this third party to intervene in order to, let's say, to mitigate the risk and, um, agree on the divergences, no? yeah. uh, customers want something, uh, the supplier needs something else. And then there is a meeting point, let's put it this way, 
uh, in which everybody agrees on something. Mm. And this is the document that will that will play a role yeah. in order to, otherwise the trade probably will not happen. Mm. So to, uh, to enable trust. To basically. enable the trade, yeah. yeah. Makes a lot of sense. Awesome. Danilo, to shift to the energy sector, which is maybe where you have particular good insights in this sector. How does trade finance manifest uniquely in this particular industry, the energy one? Well, in the energy, as, as in many other areas, let's put it this way, it, it, it all depends on what you do. So what what is your business? Um, it's not the same if you, if you make a turbine engines or the gas turbines, or if you make ships, or if you make uh, only batteries, because the tenors or your project is going to be a long one, like a, let's imagine a fabrication of a turbine and plus 15 years of maintenance. Mm -hmm. It means that uh, that your uh, your warranties will take years to be to mature, right? And these long tenors will block your lines because they won't, they won't be revolving as fast as you want. So if you sell a product that is gonna take for one year, then every year you will recover your utilization. If you block your line for 10 years, five years, then you are blocked for this, this long period. And then you very easily, you will block your line for 200 million, let's put it this way. So that's, that's the key. Um, and in, in our company, if you need to build uh, an, a turbine, it's going to be probably a contract for 15 years together with the maintenance. So it's, it's very difficult to not to offer warranties for long periods. Yeah. Uh, so how do you, how do you walk around that? Because I mean, the more you grow, the more turbines you will eventually sell. And so the more credit line you're using, but then the banks, they are not going to grant you a limited amount of credit, right? So. Yeah. How do you walk around that very long tenor that is specific to the energy sector? You need to set some policies like uh, how much I am going to do, I am going to I'm going to offer in terms of, uh, for example, warranties according to the to the type. So mm -hmm. For example, you can say only 10% of the contract for performance, only 5% on, on bid bonds, 5% uh, on warrants, for example. So then, then you cannot offer more than that. Mm -hmm. uh, you can say, I'm not going to offer parallel warrants, warranties, for example, uh, uh, performance plus warrant at the same time, mm -hmm. because that makes sense because it's a, the life cycle goes one after another, uh, even though class clients can ask for this, but we try to avoid this. Another way to avoid this is uh, parent company warranties, which this is a good solution because then you don't need to use a, a bank or a financial institution for that. And also you can offer corporate warranties yeah. that comes from your, from your parent company. So the corporates, uh, the uh, corporate warranties are exactly the same as, as a bank warranty. The difference is that if it's executed, who pays is your, is your mother company and not the bank. But that, that takes a bit away from the third party. Yes. So it. How does the risk get mitigated? Well, it's, it's not very popular, I have to say. So mm -hmm. it's a, a, a lot of clients say, no, I want a third party at a different institution rather than your parent company. Um, but uh, on the other way around, uh, you always will say, uh, well, uh, it's true that it's 
we are for the same group, but nobody want to risk the reputation that of a non-payment. So uh, if the conditions are met, just we, we, you need to pay because it's a contract. A contract is a contract, and we need to we need to celebrate this contract accordingly. So at the end. Um, I'm guessing that those kind of funds, where I, I had heard of this happen or could happen, for example, is if you have an international company that has operations in a subsidiary in Africa, Asia, like less, uh, more, more risky countries, um, if they have a head office in the US or head office in Germany or head office somewhere else, then I guess it would make sense a little bit more, right? So, for example, uh, if you have a company based in, let's say, Mozambique, we were discussing mm -hmm. earlier, um, who needs to buy equipment from Germany, right? Then the company in Germany that's selling the metal or the material would say, ah, wait, uh, I feel risk in doing a transaction with Mozambique. I don't know the jurisdiction, I don't know this. Yes, you say you're this company, but, you know, I have no guarantee. But they say, okay, my parent company is also based in Germany. They can guarantee it. They say, okay, I understand German jurisdiction. I believe that I can take this risk and it's a lower risk for me. I wouldn't get trade finance with a German company. I would with a company in Mozambique because I don't understand the jurisdiction. And then maybe... There is, yes, there is a small difference between a parent company warranty or a corporate uh, warranty. The parent company is based on the, on the fact that if I don't fulfill my commitments, my parent company will do it. The corporate is the payment side. No? If I don't, I, I don't fulfill my agreement, then you can execute the warranty and they will pay for me. Hmm. So it's it's more the payment side, and the other is more the fulfillment of the activities. When you make a payment company warranty. Interesting. So for performance, it will make sense to actually have a guarantee from a same entity, which is at the computer because they have the knowledge. A bank will not, I don't know, implement and start building your turbine uh, in your place. They will pay for it eventually, but they will not fulfill the object of the obligations. Interesting. Yeah. Does renewable energy sector have any differences versus the broader energy sector? Uh, yes, because, uh, well, renewables is, it's basically something that you can, uh, redo, no, uh, and, uh, not every, in not everything in the energy sector is renewable, right? So it's. It is the, the um, even when we say sustainability, so not everything that it's green is sustainable, right? Mm -hmm. Because it it, go, it comes with the with the fact of of the use of the reuse of the nature, but as well um, how green you are at the same time. So this is this is the key element when when we talk about renewable and sustainability at the same time. Mm -hmm. How does that affect the trade finance aspect? Or does it? it we, we see we see now institutions, banks especially, that they want to be greener, right? So they they are looking at the portfolios where they can invest the money in in terms of how can I be greener. Um, so I'm going to look at the energy renewals business or uh, waste management or um, water management, reduce of uh, emissions. Uh, and it put the investment in, in those projects that are ESG related, let's put it this way, in order to increase my numbers um, in or my rating in this in this regard. Banks, so would they give you more favorable rates? 
as a renewable company because uh, it benefits them to get a better ESG score, which lends them to better favorable rates from their central banks, for example, right? That's kind of where they're... I think this, this plan is coming, but uh, but I think now it's behind the curtains still in which, the, you know, they have, every bank has an internal credit committee. No? Mm -hmm. They will assess your company and probably the green factor will give you extra points in the, and then you will get a pricing based on this. Mm -hmm. I trust it's more or less like this, but uh, but we are not inside the bank to say, okay, how you are assessing your credit rating in order to see if I am... If, if my green part is helping me, right? Yeah. And it's and it's not a bad thing, huh? on the contrary, right? If uh, you can get more credit, the banks also... It, it's uh, it's going to be an advantage if it's, if it's the case. If it's, uh, I mean, this is what we are hoping for because we are... Uh, our company is investing in this, you know, in this sustainability, affordability and reliable energy, so yes. But in the type of instruments or the amounts involved or the TINOs involved, is there any difference compared to the traditional uh, quote-unquote energy sector it will be pretty much the same it's just no, the, it's the same the bank that changed it's the same uh, and uh, even though when in for example in previous when we were a big conglomerate uh, uh, trade finance can receive a, a, a request from mobility sector from energy or health in sector and then a trade finance department is kind of agnostic uh, regarding the, the the area you will treat as a normal transaction uh, towards the bank. Now things are changing, yeah? so probably they will they will look for these projects or even try to uh, invest on these projects. No? Where 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 are the green companies in order to um, create new products, yeah. uh, uh, new policies for for uh, uh, companies that are uh, greener than than the others? Mm. Okay, so interesting. Do you have specific examples or case studies where you saw trade finance really enable something in the energy sector from your experience? Um, yeah, I mean, I can mention a couple of examples. Uh, um, in Italy, for instance, uh, there was a, we, we are building a big power plant uh, in Australia and there is a, another one in, which is called the Tyrrhenian Link, which is the connection between the Sardinia, Sicily, Sicily Island with the mainland, okay? So there is uh, going to be with the football. <laughs> <laughs> so around there. Yeah. The connection of the two. <laughs> exactly. And there is going to be a, an electrification system, um, a massive one that is going to, it's going to provide sustainable energy to millions of, of people there. Amazing. And, um, and this can only achieve if you have a project export finance in place for the customer, because otherwise it's impossible for them. Plus, um, you have a um, you need to issue warranties for your for your customer, but as well there was another component is the customs authorities. So when you bring the players, you bring for example Germany into into the game, they need to pay the customs authorities. And um, the only way to pay customs, you need to open a dedicated account for this. You need to issue another warranty for for the customs authority as a compulsory requirement. So with a good expertise in treasury, you can tackle all of these, all of these problems that you will face uh, in order to pay customs, to issue warranties, to um, avoid risk uh, with the tax authorities, and put everything in place uh, in an easy way. Let's put it this way. Um, but it was a combination of trade finance plus cash management plus uh, project export finance all together in, in all these big projects. 
So not to take too much of attention, but what do you call project export finance? Like how is it linked to trade finance or how is it different? It's when, when for example, um, um, a financial institution will help uh, the customer to uh, fulfill the contract. Okay. But it's this specific project. So it's not that because I need money, uh, somebody will, will solve my solvency problems. No, it's just for this project, I will sponsor you in this specific project because I see there will be receivables that you will achieve this, this revenue. And then I will, I will finance your project. So they are not financing the client in particular. They are not financing a project, exactly. an ID, something that needs to yes. come up and, and for this, sometimes uh, seller and buyer agree on who will be this potential sponsor. Mm. And um, this helps this helps to, to the client because the client might not have the, um, the, let's say, the financial capabilities to achieve what is required. Mm. And this is where the third party comes in play and assist in the in what what is missing awesome and so maybe to stay on that example but also in general that are they particular instruments that are more frequently used in the energy sector i think you mentioned uh you wouldn't make a mix of multiple ones performance and warranty but like what are the most used trade finance instruments in the energy sector overall uh, warranties lcs uh, but again everything depends on where you are operating Okay. For example, um, Pakistan is a country where LCEs are compulsory. Okay. And, uh, in Angola, it used to be the case that it was abolished, like three, four years ago, it was abolished. Why, do, why would the comp uh, I'm sorry, why would the country make letters of credits uh, mandatory? For security reasons. Okay. Uh, it's a regulatory requirement. For no? the government. Yeah, yeah. So the regulators in the country can say, uh, we want to make sure that this money is paid. So you, the instrument to be used is a letter of credit. Uh, otherwise, you cannot take the money out. And these regulators can can define the the only way to to transact in certain countries, mm -hmm. in certain markets. So it, it will depend on where you operate, and then you need to be flexible. In the, in the in Latin, for example, in Latin America, they use a lot of um, a lot of insurance companies more than than financial institutions and banks with credit lines. It's, uh, here in Europe, we don't use much, but it's, uh, it's more expensive as well, uh, at least in Europe. It's uh, uh, getting the same value of a warranty from an insurance company could be a little bit more expensive than, uh, than what the banks can offer. And the ESG point we've already covered as well, right? So banks really look at it quite differently as well. So that's kind of super interesting. So is the are there any differences in uh, the energy sector as a, as a sector itself? Because coming from Siemens Energy, you're in this really, and you were in broader Siemens before as well, right? So you kind of probably seen other developments as well. Is the energy sector really treated differently to other sectors in any way? Because you're, you're not selling, so just to be clear as well, you're not selling kilojoules of energy. You're selling equipment and construction projects to build energy production, right? Is it just like any machinery or is there any other differences in treasury for the energy sector? It's, um, in, in energy, it, it, again, it depends on, it depends on what you are, you are building, no? um, the frequency, for example, if you, if you sell computers, probably your, um, your risk is going to take one month 
and then then you start again. If you are building a turbine, uh, then it's gonna it's gonna take years. Um, that's the main difference, the tenor. Um, then for the rest, treasury wise, it can be treated in a similar way. It's a contract. You need to handle it. You need to uh, mitigate the risk. You need to uh, communicate with uh, with the banks, with the client. Similar process to to any other business, I would say. So what is that warranty? Because I, I feel the warranty aspect is probably the maintenance and aspect, yeah. sorry, is the is the main difference, I guess, then. Because you have this equipment that you're maintaining and you have a service contract for that going onwards. If you install a big wind turbine, you're also doing maintenance of that turbine, typically as the as the original supplier. What are the treasury implications of, of maintenance contracts after? It's a good one because uh, I am... Of course, uh, if you see the fluctuations on the pricing and uh, all the situations that we are facing with uh, Ukraine war and so on, uh, you need to anticipate. Uh, I mean, you can always renegotiate, but uh, it's not, it's not going to happen every time. I mean, you need to agree with your customer. Uh, if the conditions change, what are we going to do in terms of, uh, in terms of the, the warranties? Um, and... Uh, yeah, because maintaining a wind turbine in Ukraine is quite difficult. Right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and uh, and uh, of course the raw materials raised uh, raise the prices, so you need to adjust your offer because okay. when you make an offer, you of course you will include the warranties that they are requesting, the price or the price that you are going to spend on this. So if the if all of a sudden um, I need to pay more for this because of the any situation, then you. You need to anticipate this, otherwise your margin will be affected. So it's uh, it's very important to try to assess, forecast your needs. Uh, also consider that a credit line will not happen from one day to another. Could be a long negotiation for months with banks. <laughs> and is that so? Are there uh, what are there any treasury instruments that you use for that? Is it are you using trade? You're not using trade finance for a maintenance contract, are you? I mean, if they they can say so, they can say that uh, um, I want a maintenance because the maintenance also imp imply pieces, re pieces replacement equipment. So exactly parts so, that wear out yeah, and everything like yeah. that. But it's it's less. No, it could be five percent of the contract. And so, so that be a performance guarantee, or would that be another type of guarantee in that case? It could be a warrant. Okay, a warrant makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Who are the who are the typical clients of the energy sector? Uh, for instance, in construction work, it happens that a lot of times those are governmental institutions, cities, and so on. How how does it go for the energy? I'm I'm saying this because obviously the governmental institutions will always ask for guarantees from the providers, and that involves banks. But so in the energy sector, who are the typical clients, and would they I always would, ask for? Uh, I would say. Maybe eighty percent are probably public customers. So, so it's the, it's the government institutions, yeah, institutions mm -hmm. and uh, the other twenty maybe is uh, they are uh, related partners, right? Because uh, at the end you won't build everything alone, right? So you get some partners, and either you combine the the, the request together with your partner in order to face to to have one face to the customer, or you share the risk. I do my part, you do your part, and then we we go to the customer as a as a joint venture mm -hmm. or consortium, whatever. 
So there are different ways of uh, doing this. Interesting. Um, what, in your experience, has been the biggest challenge in trade finance, in the energy sector specifically or in general? What's the hardest part? You've been on both sides. So you've, you've worked in the bank. You've also been on the supplier side. You probably have suppliers of your own as well who you execute trade finance with, right? What's the hardest part? I think the hardest is still is still um, the communication and uh, the let's say the all the manual work that is behind uh, behind this this kind of documents. So so many people are involved. So it, let's think about in general. So you have the commercial guy, uh, you have treasury, you have the bank, and also you have the the customer. Okay, so. All these parties need to agree on something, which is kind of difficult sometimes because the customer wants something. My policy says I, I need to do this. My commercial person uh, wants something as well. And we, we have to meet, we have to get, a, a, get an agreement that please everyone at the same time. So there is a lot of back and forth mm. with banks, uh, with the customer, with the commercial colleagues. And um, yeah, and nowadays is it's also important the KYC or they call it the KYT, know your transaction. Oh, even right? yeah. Okay. So they go, <laughs> they can scrutinize the client, the project itself. They can check if uh, if you are ESG compliant. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So everything it's it's it can be can be requested extra documentation, the contract itself, uh, because you cannot request, for example, a warranty without an underlying transaction. So banks will call, ask, okay, so you are doing this for which purpose, right? Uh, it's, it's important. Yeah, and actually thinking about it, the financial institution of the bank that guarantees the whole, uh, the whole trade they might not know anything about the other party involved in the case of case of Siemens Energy, your, your potential clients. So they're like, okay, if you if your client don't pay you, we will pay you instead. But they don't know the client, so how how does it go? Like, do they run a whole credit analysis? And they do credit. Okay, they do also on the, on the client. Okay. Um, you can have uh, instruments in which you say, I'm going to transfer this warranty to my. Another entity, mm -hmm. Bans, Bans would say, it. if I don't know the, who is going to be the final beneficiary, I don't agree on this. Okay. Because I don't, I don't know with to whom we are going to deal with. If it's a, in the blacklist or right. in a sanctioned country, they will reject this. So normally it has to be clear all this, the scope, who is my party, who are the parties involved, who, who are the beneficiaries? If it's more than one, everything needs to be clear. And this is why everybody needs to be prepared for the back and forth <laughs> in terms of documentation. Yeah. So how much, I mean, I guess it will depend on the trade, the, the company, the project, but how much time does it take from the, okay, guys, we're gonna, we're gonna do this. We're gonna do this project until the guarantee is signed and therefore the project can move forward until it was stopped so far. Like how would, what are we talking about in terms of time frame? With a good bank, two days, three days. Okay. And, uh, and the banks here. If Both you <laughs> go into a more difficult region, it could take one, two months. Okay. 
And so that's one, two months during which the project doesn't move forward at all because either the client or the supplier is saying, guys, I'm not really You can involved. be even disqualified because you, you didn't present the warranty. Right? No, I mean, everything can happen. But um, the, the importance is, is the communication, the anticipation. That's mm -hmm. why if you know that you are going to need something in, in one month, in three months, you can anticipate uh, the wording. For, for instance, you can agree, pre-align the wordings with the banks. Mm -hmm. uh, then the requires expertise. With, with time, you will know what the banks accept mm -hmm. and what is a no-go, according to your policies as well. And... Um, and also, uh, also if you have a good contact in the, in the banks that is uh, very independent, mm -hmm. uh, because some banks, for example, will not move a finger without a legal approval. Some others, experts in, in banking say, I check this, I like this, move forward. So the moment that you involve more people in the process, the longer it's going to take. Mm. Interesting. So you mentioned a few of them, Danilo, um, the Ukraine uh, situation. I think when you were talking about the Italian project, there was also this tax aspect that needed to be handled. What are overall the geopolitical and regulatory challenges that come together with the energy sector and when it comes to trade finance? Uh, well, the, the regulators are different in every country. This is what, what we see right. all the time. So that's why you have to be prepared and uh, try to understand the country aspects situation, not the country regulators, the country aspects. So um, as mentioned, if in Pakistan is compulsory for an LC, then you you don't discuss why, you just do it, right? Because you know it is like this. It's easy then. Yeah, and then, uh, and, and then in, in other countries, they have special products and they say like, either that or that or that. And um, for me, it would be great if we have a standards, like uh, <laughs> European standards. This is a template. Everybody can agree on this. It's fair for both parties. Let's do this. Schemes. It's called schemes. Uh, so in some countries, they have a scheme, one or two. Everybody can use this scheme uh, provided by the regulators. Okay, so... But so what does that mean? Does that mean that, okay, in that country, the template that you're talking about, uh, if we can, we will advocate for it, uh, if we get there someday. But what does it mean? So like, okay, the standout for this industry and this type of thread is this type of tunnel with this percentage of the project being put in guarantee with this type of amount. Or what do you mean? Yes, the, te the template is, is basically is basically the wording without the amount or the, the tenor. Oh, okay. Right. So it's just where, where you define the concepts and you define when this guarantee, for example, is going to be executed based on what, and everybody agrees that it's fair for both parties. It's not more for me. It's not for more for them. It's Equally, equally is fair, is even. So then, uh, then you say, okay, let's put the amount here. Let's let's say who between whom we are going to sign this contract, mm -hmm. and we don't change anything else. And then the banks recognize the scheme and say, okay, this is the scheme that we we also know yeah. in the country. And uh, if we have more schemes in different countries, then you can go to these standards rather than my standard, which is different from the client standard, which is different from the bank standard. That's in the legal wording. That's the hard part. It is legal wording. Okay. And then who, in the event of this, then this happens, and this. You can be very creative. That, and they, well, they are very creative. <laughs> yeah. Every. I mean, it's it's it could be a joke, but uh, if you ask a lawyer for an opinion, if they don't provide any opinion, mm -hmm. then he's a bad lawyer. Right? <laughs> <laughs> 
100%. And so why is there no template yet in Europe, for instance, where you can think, okay, operations are globally standardized, more or less the same uh, ISO regulations, so like the same restriction. Why is there not a template yet? I think because the regulators haven't agreed or some, and something. It's like uh, if you say SEPA, okay, we, we, let's agree on the SEPA, uh, SEPA um, standards. Mm -hmm. Fine. So why don't don't we go ahead and we agree on standard wording templates, European Union wise, for example, mm -hmm. in which all the regulators come together and decide something. Also, compliance has a, has a say on this as well. So well, regulators, compliance, legal, all together should agree on something. But then, uh, then, of course, probably country by country, they will say, no, I don't like this, or compulsory requirement, we need to include this and that. And uh, and then this is where the complexity starts. Because mm. you need to, if you want to agree on something, and then you start putting exceptions here and there, there is no, no standard anymore. Right. And so, speaking of that, how close and how often do you talk with your legal departments when it comes to trade finance? Little. Okay. So you set up some templates and then it's done. Or we, I mean, you receive a client template, you check, you, you know, your policies, what is a go and what is a no go. Okay. And then you, you have to, um, I mean, with some expertise, you can make your own decisions. Interesting. And then you say, okay, this is a warning or this is a no go. Then you need to come back and say, no, this is impossible. Mm -hmm. Or if you say, okay, this is a risk that I can bear. Then you go ahead, but you need to assess this with your with, with the business unit saying, we are going to accept this, but bear in mind that there is a, an underlying risk in this part, mm -hmm. and uh, we have to be careful. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, but it goes smooth, it goes smoothly because I otherwise uh, it's gonna take longer. Right. Legal is busy. Legal is a busy area. Uh, <laughs> they, they have a lot to do all the time. So it's a you send a request today. Uh, maybe it will, it's going to take days until they come back to you. Might delay a bit the process. Yeah. Does ESG aspects bring an additional difficulty to this whole um, energy sector when it comes to trade finance? Because like the energy sector in particular is evolving a lot because of all the ESG aspect, which is becoming more and more people are critical and important for the company. So how does that impact trade finance activities, if any? I think it, it's going to depend on how your company is positioned. No? Now you, we have uh, this uh, ESG agency ratings, no? uh, right. uh, sustainability, uh, sustainability, uh, uh, Morgan Stanley Corporate uh, International, for instance, this uh, um, carbon disclosure project as well. So that those are agency ratings for ESG specifically. Um, if you are with them, working with them and assessed by them, I think you have better cards to overcome uh, the challenges from the banks, right? So you, you say, I have green infrastructures, I have green products, uh, I am very green, and then probably it goes faster. And then if you are in a risky business, then maybe, maybe everything gets a little bit locked sometimes. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it depends, I, I think, it depends on, on in which business you are. Mm. Does the energy prices affect anything? Like, do you get, if the overall energy sector is heading towards, like for today, like 
cost of barrel of petrol is quite high. Energy prices are going up globally. Do banks then look at you as an energy provider and go, hey, look, not sure if people are going to be, there's going to be a demand for, well, there's always a demand for energy, I guess. So that, that doesn't go away. Does that affect at all your relationship with the banks and how you get treated? Yeah, I mean, it, there is a huge demand of energy at the moment, right? So uh, basically, um, it's going to be harder and harder to uh, achieve in, in terms of uh, lines, for instance, uh, with a huge demand, considering that, let's put it like, uh, if you have a 100 billion uh, re backlog and 10% you need to cover, it's... It's uh, it's a lot of a lot of lines that you need to. So you either talk to more banks, or you go to local banks, uh, or you try to use some other other types of instruments. Uh, so it's gonna depend on what is your gonna be your strategy to to cover this demand. Mm -hmm. Or maybe you say, okay, let's let's reduce the the offers on. on, on warranties, for example. So it's like uh, you don't offer warranties just because of the fun of it. Um, or maybe you say, I don't need the advance payments and then I will skip the advance payment, uh, warranty because at the end is, is to cash in first, but if you don't have liquidity issues, you pay me on time. I don't give you any warranty for this. And then I can use, I can focus on performance, uh, on bid bonds, something that is more relevant for the project itself, rather than uh, covering a payment or covering an advanced payment. So you have to pick up your battles. You have to pick your battles. What, what, is, what makes sense in, in, to achieve your goals no? in the, in your portfolio. But this is, uh, this is something that, uh, that is coming, definitely. Mm. Yeah. And what's Siemens' role in that overall? So Siemens as a company, or Siemens Energy as a company, sorry. And how is Siemens energy positioning itself in the global energy d division and economy overall? We are supplying like 16% of the global energy worldwide. So it's, uh, it's, it's huge and uh, they have presence in, in more than 90 countries. So it's uh, 92,000. Which types of energy? Which industries? It's, um, so is uh, we have the gas service, which is the gas service is focused on, on the, um, large turbines and steam turbines. Okay. Then we have the grid technologies, which is focused on the storage and transportation of energy. And then we have also the, um, what is the, um, the wind power, yeah. of course, and the, and the grid technologies as well. So there are four main areas, but everything is focused on sustainability, affordability, and and to have reliable energy. So basically it's reduction of, uh, of, um, emissions. It's, uh, it's to provide green, to reduce the, not the Carbon. green, greenhouse uh, gases, no? and also uh, reduce the energy consumption. So basically the more efficient you are, the less consumption you will, you will, you will have in, in, in your products. Mm. So this is the, the key focus. And of course, you need to invest in innovation, keep investing in innovation, but we, we are there, we have the, the means. And uh, now it's up to the, also the policymakers to say, okay, let's go to the next step, to the next level. And the challenge is also that not every country is at the same level. No? So 
maybe Sweden, Norway, they say, well, we are very green, but in other markets, uh, they are not that developed. So they are, you, the demand of your products is less or different. So you need to adapt uh, according to the development of the country, mm. what the country is requesting now. Uh, it's solution A or solution B, or it's the advance of A or B. Uh, this is the, the, the biggest challenge, I guess, because we are, we are a global company, so you need to, you have customers at different levels, according to the countries. And so among the different challenges that you mentioned in trade finance, but also in the energy sector overall, how does the Siemens Energy Treasury team navigate those? I'm thinking, for instance, about the, the, the fact that you said each country has its own regulator, regulations, expectations when it comes to trade and trade finance. How do you navigate all this? Wrapped into how do you navigate such an hectic and yeah, quite some uh, topical industry that is the that is the energy one. Yeah, I think um, in 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 our company, what we try to do is is to to have the proper expertise in every in every country where we where we have a presence. So mm. we have teams that dedicate are dedicated to specific markets or specific countries. So like this, you have the knowledge, the enough knowledge to solve your problems, but also it's important to build good relationships with your banks, with your, uh, with your partners in which you know exactly how the, the game works. Mm -hmm. You need to play a good game yeah. and, uh, and you need to have a key persons on the banks that will solve your problems. You will have your key customers as well. And um, all the key players in the in the question need to need to talk to each other. But also, it's important to have uh, um, policies inside your company. So like this, you you know exactly what you are allowed to do, what you should not be doing, to mitigate the risk. And uh, if you don't have this, uh, it could be tricky to make good decisions, mm -hmm. right? So if you have internal rules, you say, okay, I know until how far I can go. And uh, you have the expertise, you have your banks, you have your clients, everybody talking to each other and running as smoothly as possible, but it's, it's never that smooth, but, <laughs> but uh, never. never it's, um, but it is, it depends on, depends on the market as well. Yeah. How do you, how do you develop, nurture and maintain that expertise? Is it, is it bringing in house very trade finance experts? Is it growing them in-house because of the very specific challenges Siemens Energy has? Is it drawing and tapping into the expertise of banks? Because obviously they, they see and have lots of trade files, right? So how do you, how do you make sure that you always stay up to date with all this and always have the best expertise to tackle the challenges each country and project comes with? Yeah. One, one is exactly, exactly to keep close contact with the banks because, uh, uh, they they know the regulators, they know what is going on in the market. Have to. So it's, it's important that they, that they give you feedback all the time and you ask for this feedback as well. So keep close to the banks because they know a lot, use them, use their knowledge. Um, also, of course, you need to have a set of, uh, professionals, trade finance professionals, but not only because, uh, trade finance is also very well connected to cash management. Um, in the, in this sense, you can have a treasurer covering not only trade finance aspect, but also as well, the cash management component 
you know, as in, as in the example that I explained, there was a combination between trade finance and cash management. Right. It could be even an FX component because if you are having a warranty request for in a foreign currency, if you are the FX manager, you can also raise your hand and say, okay, I have a FX topic here as well mm. in, in this future project. So all these three pillars work uh, closely. Mm. So of course, it depends on the company. You can have a, a competence for trade finance and effects and cash management, but um, at local level or at regional level, it could also make sense to have uh, experts that cover all, all these three products and it's gonna be even more attractive. Yeah. And so linking expertise with technology, how has the technology in trade finance evolved? And what are, do you see any trends or any latest innovations in trade finance? That's, okay, that's particularly useful for our industry if there are specific tools for the energy sector or like in trade finance in general, how do you navigate this and how, which tools do you choose to work with when it comes to trade finance? Yeah, and uh, when the, when you achieve a certain size of the company, then, uh, then it always makes sense to try to find an internal solution. Uh, because this is the way how you cover ground. So if I have us, if I go in a service provider that is going to cover one part of the region or one region, it's probably not going to be sufficient. And and this is when the big companies say, "I'm going to build something that will solve all my problems internally," and then I will probably look a service provider to, for example, to connect me with the banks. And um, but like this, you can have a better. Internal transparency, internal control, you can have workflows in terms of approvals, who does what, who is responsible for what, how they track, and then you can, uh, what, what we see, you know, we see a lot of uh, now tools that connect with different banks, but then uh, again, it's, it's challenging to find out if uh, this service provider is covering all my banks, because if, uh, if you, if you want to buy a product and they say like, yeah, I, I cover 30% of your, of your market. Then is, then I will need three, four partners for the same. Mm. And, uh, I don't know if it's efficient, um, to be connected in three, four different platforms. Then the banks will have an, another platform offering the same. Um, but if I have my own thing, my own database connected, I think it's, it's what, uh, it's the dream. Uh, you keep the knowledge, you keep the track on the things the workflows and you are connected to the banks. This is the, probably the future. Interesting. But so I, I suspect if it was a, a contract with Siemens Energy, a third party provider would say, okay, right now we're connected with only 30% of the banks that you're talking about, but we can make an effort to connect with those other banks as fast as possible. Or would, would it be too much of an effort on the system that does that as well to say, okay, look, we cannot cover that school. It, it, it is a big effort and also because, uh, um, even for simple stuff, banks might not have the infrastructure. Okay. It's a small banks will say, I don't have the capacity to, to implement what you are asking. Mm. And so then focusing on your solution, because I think that will interest lots of treasurer. How do you, how do you unlock the resources to build an in-house solution, especially when it comes to trade finance? Because I mean, we, we know it and one of the main feedback we get is that, um, treasury function is not always super well funded. Uh, because it's, it's still a support function and even though it gets more and more strategic it's like hiring talents is sometimes difficult but like let alone unlocking budgets to implement third-party uh, systems 
like when it comes to developing your own solution in-house, how do you go around with that? Because that, that's quite a significant effort as well on the corporate side. Yeah. It takes years, honestly. Yeah. So you start with something and then you you develop. You know, little by little, you start developing your according to your needs. Now, because you will discover by the years that you need this, you need that, and the, the trends also the, you know, the technological trends will will navigate will navigate you to to different solutions. And um, but the thing is, if you have experts, you can you have two ways. You either you outsource your IT part. In which you say, okay, my treasury IT is going to be outsourced to the general IT department, or I keep it in-house in treasury. So you have the treasury IT department. Mm. For me, either way could work, but it's, uh, it's having a treasury IT uh, could be probably more attractive for, for people. In the way that I have been doing treasury for 10 years, I need to see something else. Okay, so do you, do you like technology? Do you like treasury operations? Uh, why don't you go into this department? And, Super cool. And you will have better insights than a normal IT guy, right? So you could add value. That's an amazing career uh, career advice here. Yeah, like, definitely. And developing new skills, having the company help you developing those skills, and then bringing tremendous amount of value to a treasury department. In different projects, this may would make the difference because. Uh, if you don't know what you are building, it's go it's going to be very difficult to for the end user. Uh, the end user will come back and say, "This is missing. This is missing. This is not working." And then you just you try to connect the dots. But if you never did it, the end-to-end -end process, and you don't know why this end user is requesting this, it's going to be harder. Mm. Right? Typical. That's good career advice overall. Sense. Daniel, thank you so much for coming on the show. Is there anything that we uh, haven't covered about trade finance that you'd like people to know about? Uh, well, uh, for me, trade finance is it's a really important area of treasury now because it's um, it has um, it, it helps the, the liquidity on on the companies. You know, and at the end, you know, treasury is the guardian of the balance sheet, so mm -hmm. it's very important, and uh, it's better that we as treasurers. Um, try to find solutions rather than service providers finding the solution for us. No, we have to be proactive in this regard, I guess. Mm. Top cool. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot, Daniel. Thank you very much.